Well, hey guys, thanks so much for tuning into the Harbor Teaching Podcast. We hope that the messages you will hear are both uplifting and challenging. And now, welcome to the Harbor. Hey friends, how are you? Good, good. If you don't know me, my name is Joey, as Pastor Brian said, and I'm up here very sunburnt, sun-kissed. It's that time of the year where you walk outside and you're already starting to sweat. Um, I got to go kayaking this week, and, and I'll be honest, I've never seen a whole manatee before, but I, I rolled up on one, like, accidentally. Well, I didn't see it coming, and I wasn't fear or trembling. I was fear and trembling. I thought I was going to die. I was saying my final prayers. Um, so truly, it is by the grace of God and only by the grace of God that I'm here live to talking to you guys today. So if you guys are new here, um, welcome to the family you are so loved. You guys have such a special place in my heart if you're new um, because I was there not too long ago. I was there probably, what, July, June, something like that. So welcome, you guys. I would love to see you after the service if I have not met you already. Um, But it's going to be difficult for me to follow last week's message. Our fellow Harbor friend Caleb gave an amazing introduction to our two-part series of Gideon, the not-so-mighty, mighty mighty warrior. Um, And so he really laid the foundation. He carried the ball to the one-yard line. And so really my only job today is just to walk that bad boy into the end zone. So Caleb, thank you for giving that. Last week, I can't wait for the collab Fear or Trembling with TJ. I don't know if you guys thought about a new album. Could be pretty cool. Something like that. Um, But I'll be honest, it was a great and unexpected surprise to be asked to come close out this series. And I'm so excited to be here. Um, But I want to hear from you guys. Show of hands, who likes to be surprised? Like who surprised parties, surprised whatever. Surprised something. Who likes surprises? A couple, a couple of you. All right, gentlemen, if your lady has her hand up, uh, throw her a, a surprise birthday party. You're welcome, wingman of the year. But don't get the date wrong, because that would be pretty awkward. Now, who hates surprises? Who's on the other end of the spectrum? Like, if you walk up into a surprise, you're like, nope, I'm out of here. Like, you obviously don't know me at all. We're not friends. Yeah, there's a, a, few, of you, a few of you out there as well. Well, sometimes surprises can be a good thing, right? A surprise birthday party can be a fun occasion, um, unless you're one of the few who don't like them. But a raise or a promotion that you weren't expecting at work can be a, a great thing. And maybe you get a better test on a final or a better grade on a final than you were expecting, because let's be honest, you relied on Quizlet the whole time and you probably didn't study the night before either. Those surprises can be a great thing. Surprises like that, when you expect a certain response and you don't get what you were expecting, are not so fun. But sometimes it's much worse. A global pandemic can shut the world down for what seems like forever. Or sometimes you find yourself on the, the cold, dark hospital floor just praying, just hoping, just crying for your loved one to be okay. And and sometimes maybe you're just surprised at how far away from God you actually are. You wake up one morning, you're like, God, how did I get here? That doesn't make much sense. Those surprises are not so fun. See, the story of Gideon is one where God isn't really seeming to make sense, where everything that happens is totally unexpected. But through it, Gideon will find victory in an unexpected situation. And so that's the title of tonight's teaching, if you're taking notes, Victory in the Unexpected. Victory in the Unexpected. Last week, Caleb went over the beginning of Gideon's story, the the start of chapter 6, really focusing on his call. And you see, he was hiding in a wine press, threshing his wheat in a wine press, and he was hiding from the Midianite army. Remember, Israel had been doing 
evil in the sight of the Lord. They had been worshiping idols and not pursuing Yahweh, but rather they were pursuing the passions of the flesh. And so God gave the Israelites into the hands of uh, the Midianites for seven years. And so during this time, Gideon was a farmer. Uh, he was just hiding and threshing his wheat, doing his thing uh, in the middle of a country that was walking away from God. But during this time, God calls Gideon to be a leader of an army that's going to fight the Midianites. So God is calling the guy who is hiding to go fight the Midianites. And that's why Gideon is the not so mighty, mighty warrior. Our story tonight is going to begin in Judges 6, verse 36, if you want to turn there. And we're going to cover all of chapter 7. So I'm not going to cover every verse, um, but majority of them will be in there. And so you see... Gideon has his call, he realizes God is who he says he is, and his first action was uh, to go tear down the idols of Baal that Israel was worshiping. Because you can't really fully surrender yourself to God unless you tear down the idols in your life and begin to worship God. But that's, our story hasn't begun, so I won't go there. But Judges chapter 6, verse 36 is, is kind of where we're going from the call to now what? And so Gideon has begun to worship God, he has begun believing that God is who he says he is, but he still has doubt. He still has fear, and he has even more questions for God. And, and maybe that's some of us in this room. We go to the harbor. We believe God is who he says he is. We do our devos. Maybe we even serve. But can God really use me? Me, of all people? And that's where Gideon is at. He says to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said... Behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. There is dew on the fleece alone, and it is dry on all the ground. Then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. So then the exact same thing happens, right? Gideon right, wakes up early in the morning where there's usually dew on the ground and on your car, making it super annoying to get to work. Anybody else have those windshield wipers that, like, don't even get the dew off your car, just, like, smears it? all over the car. That has nothing to do with the sermon. I just hate those windshield wipers, but, but not this day. This day, the dry, the ground is perfectly dry. The only thing that has dew on it is the fleece. In fact, the text says that there, when Gideon wrung it out, there was so much dew that you can fill a whole bowl with water. So that's a pretty big miracle from God, because as us Floridians know, dew is just a small mist. So surely, Gideon is ready to go fight the Midianite army now that God has performed this miracle. Because that's just what he promised, right? He said, God, if you do this thing, I'll go build my army. Well, that's not exactly what happens. Look at verse 39. Gideon said, let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. God, that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. You had me in the first half. I'm not going to lie. But let me just test once more with the fleece. Let it be dry on the fleece only, and on the ground let there be dew. God, I believe what you're showing me, but can you just show me one more time, just so I know it's true, just so I know it's accurate? That's a pretty natural response from human beings, right? God can give us, God does give us massive callings, amazing purposes, and usually our first reaction is, okay, God, prove it. Look at Abraham in the book of Genesis. God promises to make Abraham a, a great nation with many descendants. And Abraham looks at God and he said, God, how am I going to possess it? I don't have any kids. And then in Exodus, God 
promises Moses that he's going to be the leader of a great nation of Israel out of slavery. See, through, all throughout the Bible, Egypt was known as one of the worst times in Israel's history. That's a massive calling that Moses was called to lead Israel out of that. And Moses is like, nah, you got the wrong guy, God. You can't use me like that. First of all, Israel's never going to believe me. Second of all, you can't use me because I can't speak. Right? See a trend? God, how are you supposed to use me to share my faith at work? Wouldn't it just be easier to send Pastor Brian in at lunch to give a sermon? God, how am I supposed to break this addiction? God, how am I supposed to help somebody else break their addiction? I just got over mine. Our first point is this. When God doesn't make sense, he is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am so thankful for that truth tonight, that when God doesn't make sense, he is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. Chad Veach, he is a, a great pastor of Zoe Church in LA, California. He talks a lot about how the Lord loves to declare things, right? In Jeremiah 29:11, it says, for I know the thoughts and the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. The Lord declares his love for you and for me today. The Lord spoke the universe into existence. Like when Michael Scott from The Office declares bankruptcy, right? I declare bankruptcy, right? We serve a God of declaration, but we live in a culture of, well, whatever happens, happens. You know, if the Lord wants it to happen, it'll, it'll happen, right? And although there's a certain truth to that second point, that is not the mindset to have. We serve a God of declaration. We serve a God of confession. Do not let prayer intimidate you. Get, prayer, get your prayer out of your mind and out of your mouth. Declare things back to God. It is not whatever happens, happens. It's God declared things are going to happen, so I'm going to stand because my fear cannot stay stand when I'm standing in God's love. So I'm going to pray like it depends on God, but I'm going to work like it depends on me because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Y'all are making me shout today. I love the energy in this room right now. See, I saw this to be true in my own life. As I said at the beginning, I moved to Melbourne during quarantine from West Palm. And I had so much doubt that I couldn't find a church. I wasn't going to be able to find a friend group. I wouldn't be able to grow. You see, when I moved here, it was with the intention of transitioning. I was moving from West Palm to somewhere. I was whatever happens, happens. Right? I had no plans on staying here. I didn't know where I was going, but I know it wasn't Melbourne, Florida. But God has been so faithful to me to give me a church, a family, uh, a group of friends that challenge me and grow me and keep me accountable, mentors that I look up to and, and want to aspire to be and am so thankful for. And see, God, Gideon is, is finally starting to realize this, that, that God that God is faithful yesterday, today, and forever. And so he, he gathers his army of 32,000 soldiers. They're getting into position. They can see the Midianites in the bottom of the valley. And now we hit chapter 7. And this is the Lord's time to respond. See, first it was Gideon asking all the questions. It was Gideon asking all the favors. But now it's the Lord's time to, to respond. And he says this in verse 2 of chapter 7. It says, The Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Um, what? Too many people to fight a war? That's like me as a real estate agent being like, 
you got too much money to buy this house right now. I can't sell you it. You're too rich. That's like saying, you got too much food to survive the famine. You have too many people to fight a war. That is crazy. That is absolutely crazy. See, first of all, it says in chapter 6 that the people of Midian, even, scratch that, the camels that the people of Midian had were too much to be counted. So the mere fact that Gideon's army had a number to it just proves that he was already at a disadvantage going into the war. And now God is taking more and more away. Look at verse 3. He says, Now therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home. Hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000, 22,000 people returned, and only 10,000 remained. Over two-thirds of Gideon's army left over one sentence. If you're scared, leave. Now, that is unexpected. I'm sure Gideon wasn't expecting that. But God isn't quite done with Gideon yet. He then says to lead the remaining soldiers, 10,000 people, to get something to drink. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever been a part of a group or led a group. Maybe you went to City Fest. But getting a group of people to do anything together is insane. Getting a group of 10,000 people to do anything is almost impossible. So Gideon's first task is simply just to lead them down to get something to drink. But then God says, everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, anyone else who kneels down to drink. Okay, so that's like saying anyone who goes to the river and drinks like a dog, uh, we don't need them for this battle. They don't drink water properly. You can send them home. That's like modern day saying, anyone who drinks LaCroix, you're drinking water the wrong way. It's not supposed to fizz like that. It's not supposed to fizz like that. You can go home. We're not needing you for this war. <laughs> that's exactly what happened. But apparently that shouldn't be too hard, right? I don't know very many people that drink LaCroix. I don't know very many people that don't know how to drink water. But Gideon is left with only 300 soldiers out of 32,000. Come back next week for our series on how to drink properly because apparently it's harder than we think it is. I'm kidding. Don't come expecting that. That's not the series title. But that doesn't make very much sense, right? First, God chooses the weakest of the weak to lead an army. That doesn't make sense. Then God takes that army and he reduces it down to about the size of the people that can fit in this room. Maybe even less than that. I forgot to check the occupancy sign at the door. That's on me. And then he gives that army two very powerful weapons, a trumpet and a candle. Not exactly the weapons I would want to take into war. I hope Bath and Body Works has their three-wick candle sale because that's a lot of candles. <laughs> hey, I got an A in the back. Let's go. Uh, but it's okay, though. Gideon is going to have the best weapons, the best fighting strategy, the best protective gear, <laughs> Not even close. Look at verse 8. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent. Point number two, when God doesn't make sense, obey his commands. Ooh, some of us don't like to hear that tonight. When God doesn't make sense, obey his commands. See, none of this story is really making any sense so far. God chose the weakest of the weak to lead an army. He gave them terrible weapons. 
and that we're about to see the fighting strategy also makes zero sense. So show of hands, when you were younger, did your parents tell you to do things and then just say, because I said so? Whose parents did that? Y'all are lying. Every hand in this room should be up. All parents love to do that, right? Mom, why can't, why do I have to do the dishes today? Because I said so, honey. Right, dad, come on, dad. Why can't I get this new video game? I promise you it's different than the one, the one before. Promise you. Why can't I get it? Because I said so, son. Right? That's a terrible impression of my dad. His voice is not that deep. But they used to do that to me all the time. They would tell me to do things that made absolutely no sense in my childlike brain, and then their only explanation would be, because I said so. Like, why did, why did they do that? See, it turns out that they could see things that I usually could not see when I was that little. Right? When I did the dishes, we would have clean plates for dinner. And when I didn't spend all my time on video games, I would either be at baseball practice or doing schoolwork so I didn't fail. And now it's funny because I find myself being the one saying, because I said so. Right? See, sometimes it feels like God isn't really making sense. He's just telling us to do things, and it's because he said so. Right? And, and we don't know why. But God can see things that we can't really see. And so it doesn't really make sense why we live in a world of, of cultural misconception where people are looking at you not for who you are, but for who you voted for. It doesn't really make sense why we have hatred and divorce and hardship. It's hard. Life is hard, especially as a young adult. It's hard to decide what we want to do with the rest of our lives. It's hard to decide who we want to date or marry. A couple of you might be even deciding if you want to stay in your marriage. And most of us are deciding how to make anything other than ramen noodles. <laughs> Can I get an amen on that one? But sometimes things just don't make sense. But through these times, the most important thing that we can do as a follower of Jesus Christ is to obey God's commands. Spend time with him. Worship him. Love him and love those around us. Love your neighbors. See, notice what happens next. Gideon is following the commands from God. And God is faithful by giving Gideon some much-needed encouragement. See, at this time, God probably knows that the, the battle is looking pretty scary, pretty intimidating, pretty fearful for Gideon. He's only got 300 guys. And so God sends Gideon and his servant into the valley, into the Midianite camp, close enough to hear them speaking. So point number three is one that, that I think can really resonate in my life, and I'm, I'm hoping it resonates in yours, is that when God doesn't make sense, learn from the trial. When God doesn't make sense, learn from the trial. See, Gideon may only have 300 soldiers, but at least he has the high ground, right? In a war, you want the high ground. You want to be on top of the mountain. It, it symbolizes something good. You have the upper hand. You know, have you ever heard somebody say, like maybe after a mission trip, man, I don't ever want to leave this mountaintop experience with God. Or, or maybe after they get baptized, man, I'm really feeling on top of the mountain right now. See, being on top of the mountain is a good thing. That's where Gideon was. He was safe. He saw the trial. He knew it was coming. But he was still safe. But while he was safe, he was doubting, he was fearful, and he was questioning God's ability. 
So God sends him into the valley, into the trial for his encouragement, down into the Midianite camp. He says in verse 9, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. Y'all, before the fight began, God gave the Midianite camp into Gideon. I'm going to say that again because it is vital. Before the fight began, God gave the camp of the Midianite army into Gideon. John 16.33 says, I have said these things to you. Now this is Jesus talking. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. See, the Bible doesn't promise an easy, breezy life without trials and tribulations. In fact, it is quite the opposite. But the battle's already been won. The price has already been paid and paid in full because of the love of Jesus Christ and that he came down and died on the cross. I am more than a conqueror. You are more than a conqueror. And so Gideon and his servant Pira, they go down into the trial, into the massive Midianite army. And I want to pause and kind of say this. Sometimes we are Gideon in this story. Sometimes life's just not going our way, and it doesn't make sense. But sometimes somebody's going to come to you and say, hey, man, I need your help. I need your encouragement. I need, some, I need, I need you to pray for me and to walk through this, this valley with me. Sometimes we're Pira in this story. See, without Pira, Gideon's servant, he might not have gotten the validity that he needed to go fight the Midianite army. Sometimes we're Pira. So the two of them are there. They're in the valley, and they hear two soldiers discussing a dream. We're in verse 13 now. It says, Behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it. So it fell and turned it upside down, so the tent lay flat. Then the other soldier answered, This is none other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. Now, my name is Joseph, but I was not in a cell interpreting dreams, and I was not at the king interpreting dreams. That's the wrong Joseph. So I don't claim to be good at interpreting dreams, but how does a, a loaf of bread striking a tent mean only one thing, and that Gideon has obviously won the war? That makes total sense. <laughs> but... I can't explain that part, but I can explain this. God knew what Gideon needed to hear, and Gideon was encouraged by it. Tonight, God knows what you need to hear, and if you learn from the trial, you can be encouraged by it. So him and Pira, they, they worship God. They're encouraged. They're getting their army ready for battle, and we're getting ready to go. They've got their trumpets and their candles and their 300 men. So now it's time to execute. However... The game plan is yet another thing that doesn't make sense. Yet another thing that doesn't make sense. It says to the text, they blew the trumpets and they smashed the jars that were in their hands. Y'all, with only 300 soldiers, this should be a lone survivor movie where they go in at dark where nobody can see them and they're like pew pew with their silencers so nobody knows that they're there. But they're like, nope, scratch that. You know, let's blow all 300 trumpets Let's yell as loud as we can, sword for Gideon, sword for God. Let's smash all the jars. Let's let everyone know that we're here to fight. That does not make any sense at all. 
But it's important to note that the trumpet here that's described, it's not the musical instrument that we are thinking of today. In fact, the actual word for it is uh, shofar. And so usually only military leaders had those. And so in verse 22, when it says, when they blew the 300 trumpets, the 300 shofars, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against the army. And the army fled as far as Bathsheba, towards Zerahar, as far as the border of Abel-Maholah by Tabith. And so when the Midianites heard these shofars, these trumpets, they probably would have assumed that a great number of Israelite soldiers were coming to fight. Because usually only military leaders had these trumpets, and they would have a lot of soldiers under them. So Midian hears these, and they're like, oh, crap. Like, we got to go. Like, we got to get out of here. There's no way we're winning this. But boy, were they wrong about the number of people that were fighting. But I know that Midian is the enemy in this story. But can we relate to them for a second? Right? They, they hear these things. Have you ever had, you know, hardship come to your friendship or persecution come to your relationship? And you start attacking each other? You start fighting each other instead of fighting it together? Well, we're about to learn that that is not the best fighting strategy. Right? The Midians begin to flee all over the place. The Midianites begin to kill each other and to harm each other, and then they flee. And the Israelites, they're being called from all over. They're getting the victory. They can almost taste it. And so this is a great miracle from God because it didn't make sense. In verse 25, it says, They captured the two princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb. And Zeb, they killed at the wine press of Zeb. So the next point is, when the victory comes, God will make sense. When the victory comes, God will make sense. We've been talking a lot tonight about things that just don't make sense. But the whole story began with Gideon hiding in a wine press. The victory was won when his enemy was killed at a wine press. The, the whole story began when Gideon built an altar to the Lord of rock and worshipped him. The victory was won when his enemy was killed at a rock. You see, I, I've seen this true in my own life. I felt led to, to come down from Illinois to the great state of Florida, and I found myself in West Palm, and the first, like, two weeks were awesome. Right? I was on fire. I was filled with the Spirit. I was like, I'm going to make a difference here. Y'all ever go to something new and you're all hyped up and ready to go? Well, I got there, and that's not what happened. I will never forget the loneliness, the depression, the, the sorrow, the heartbreak that I went through in West Palm. That's like my Egypt. But fast forward to my life now, and I get it. It makes sense. Becoming victorious over West Palm, I learned that my power doesn't come from money or success. or My, my power doesn't come from me, you know, getting an apartment at 17 years old. No. My power comes from being in the spirit of God. My power comes from being with God's people. And when the victory comes, God will make sense. See, God is the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. The victory didn't make any sense to Gideon. It sure did not make sense to the 300 soldiers with their trumpets and candles because not one of them died in this fight. 
But that's because this victory and every victory belongs to the Lord. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. It may not make sense to us when we're in it, but it sure will make sense to us when we come out of it. I want everybody to close their eyes and just take a deep breath. And I want you to ponder this question. Are you hiding today? Step out in faith, knowing that God will bring light to the darkness. Are you hiding today? Stand in faith, knowing that where you're hiding today is where the victory will come tomorrow. And maybe you're not hiding. Maybe you're walking through life, worshiping, believing, serving, doing great and powerful things for the word and the name of God. But you're not seeing the results that you want. You're not, you're not where you were expecting. Maybe you're just fighting and clawing for what seems like nothing. Take heart. The victory is coming. You guys can open your eyes. In 2 Corinthians 10.4, it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. See, worship is our weapon. That's what those trumpets were. That's what that, those candles were. That's what their shouts were. It was worship because they gave the fight to God. The weapons of our warfare are not flesh. So the rest of verse 25 says, They pursued Midian. They pursued the victory. They brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon across the Jordan. See, the victory had come full circle. But all this talk about war, all this talk about victory, all this talk about fighting, it can bring up a topic that I kind of want to sit on for a while, and it's this aspect of greatness. See, everybody wants to be great at whatever they do at some level, whether they want to be great at bagging groceries, whether they want to be great at being the president. They want to be great at whatever they do. I really want to be great at singing. But let's be honest, I sound like an ox being run over by a truck. Singing might not be for me. But tonight, we have gone over three things that when God just doesn't make sense. When he doesn't make sense, he is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. When God doesn't make sense, obey his commands. When God doesn't make sense, learn from the trial. But there's this aspect of greatness that from a Christian perspective also doesn't seem to make sense. And so the, the band can come up and, and join me now as we, as we wrap up. But I'm reminded of the story in Mark 10. And it's the story about how greatness really doesn't make sense. It's where James and John... They're two of Jesus' disciples. They're trying to be the greatest in his eyes. So they go up to Jesus, to God himself, and they're like, hey, Jesus, how would you feel if we were at your right hand and your left hand in heaven? And, you know, they're all cocky. And, of course, the ten disciples, they hear this, and, and they're not happy. I wouldn't be happy either. But Jesus turns this into a great teaching moment. He says in Mark 10, whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to serve, or came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So those of you who don't know, Jesus was the epitome of greatness. The greatest man alive, 100% man, 100% God, 100% savage, but he sat with sinners. 
He washed the feet of his friends. See, the greatest of the great is telling us that the way to be great is to serve. The way to be rewarded first is to be the last. It doesn't make sense from a worldly perspective. See, Gideon wasn't the manliness, manliest. He wasn't the strongest. He sure didn't appear great. But Gideon was available. He was faithful. And he was servant-hearted, even when it didn't make sense. And so really quickly, we're going to go over three practical takeaways about greatness that from a worldly perspective, we can go out and show the world that greatness, in fact, does make sense. The first one is that God doesn't want pretenders. See, Jesus has enough fans that come to church, they watch what's going on around them, and then they leave like nothing ever happened. Tony Evans, in his book called Kingdom Man, he writes this. He says, Jesus wants men who will rule well. And that book was written to men. But Jesus wants women who will rule well. Did you guys know we were called to be heirs of the throne with Christ? We're royalty. We can't pretend our way there. We need God for that. Great relationships, number two, of any kind, not just dating or, or marriage, but friendships, coworkers, acquaintances. They will always be successful when one person is trying to outserve the other person. Great relationships will always be successful when one person is trying to outserve the other person, and vice versa. Number three, greatness will look different than you think it does. See, greatness in a worldly perspective does not look like laying your life down for a friend. Greatness does not look like washing the feet of people you may not even know. Greatness doesn't look like Jesus Christ. So greatness is going to look different than we think it does because greatness is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only one who is great. In fact, none of us are even good. The only way we can be great is through Jesus Christ. And so that's why it's going to look different than you think it does. But through all the trials, through all the stressful situations, through all the tests, when things just don't make sense, victory can be found. Victory is found in the unexpected. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this night of communion, community, this night to worship you. God, I pray that as we sing these final songs, that you would be glorified. God, we would give it all to you. Our lives are yours, God. May we be a servant. God, in this moment, we are, are available to be used by you. God, would your spirit be in this room. God, would you take this room and revive it? Would a culture of revival come among Calvary, God? May we go out and be faithful and servant-hearted, even when the world may not make sense. God, we know you are faithful to bring the victory. The victory is yours, God. We don't want the glory. We just want you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for spending time with us. If you'd like to know more about The Harbor, please follow us on Instagram at wearetheharbor. Also, if you need prayer, feel free to send us a DM. Otherwise, tune in next time.